Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 19. So welcome, welcome to That's a Wrap number 19. Uh, we are three guys who have PhDs and like to talk about film, culture, and media. Uh, today, though, it's only two of us. It's me, Eric Marshall. And me, Nick Schlegel. Unfortunately, Chris had a uh, family emergency and had to bow out today, uh, which uh, we're both pretty bummed out about because I know Chris had some really, really uh, interesting things to say about her, some connections that he had made that we hadn't, but um, we had to record. We're hoping that maybe he can chime in later. Exactly. But, so it's just going to be me and Nick today uh, talking about the movie Her and the TV series True Detective. Um, you can see all of our past episodes at that's a rapshow.com. You can find us on Twitter at rap podcast. You can email us at feedback at that's a rap show.com. Uh, keep in mind that the word rap has a W in it at the beginning. So, um, but yeah, if you just go to that's a rap show.com, you can find all that stuff um, up there, the email, the uh, Facebook, the Twitter and comments. We like to hear comments. So we, uh, we appreciate that. So Nick uh, for pickups, what's new with you? Oh dear. What is new with me? I'm, I'm anxious for the Oscars, which are they're this Sunday, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they help withheld them for the Olympics and, um, yeah, I'm anxious to watch that. You know, it, I wasn't sure if we were going to do an Oscars episode or not. You know, you're the only one that's seen most of the Oscar nominations. I've seen a few. I know Chris has seen a few. And um, I remember um, our mutual friend Molly used to have her, her Oscar parties and, and take it very seriously. And that was very, very funny because I, I, used to do, I used to do the same thing. I'd have friends over. I actually subscribed to Premiere Magazine from around 1990 to around 95. So a good five years of subscription, if not longer, to um, mm -hmm. Premiere Magazine, particularly in those really those, those early years when it became much more widely uh, distributed here in the United States. It originally started mm -hmm. as a French magazine, as I'm sure many know. And uh, the writing, um, the quality of writing in there, uh, and the minimal amount of advertising, it was a really, it was a good industry magazine. Um, some really, you know, great pieces used to be in there. And every, every um, February, they would do their Oscar issue, and they would give you a ballot in there, which was a big fold-out like mini poster, which was probably around like 17 by 24 or something like that. And you know, I think there was back then there was 22 or 24 categories. I can't remember. It was less. There's more now. And um, I used to like, I used to vote with my heart and not my head. And I'd still usually get around 15 to 16 out of 22 or something like that. You know, I'd do pretty good. And that was usually just voting with more or less my like what I wanted to win. Um, so and I started to wise up, and I even got better towards the end there when I started thinking like a, like Academy voters. But that kind of <laughs> presupposes a lobotomy in some cases. So um, because they you know historically have gotten it wrong on a lot of things. And when I say wrong, I understand we're talking about you know a subjective thing here, but. I mean, like, wrong as in, like, glaringly wrong, as in, like, what were you thinking wrong? So, 
where you know everybody's saying what do you you know like when Grace Kelly wins over Judy Garland you know one of like the big travesties in Oscar history in '54 uh, for you know A Star Is Born for example or when people are just thinking that something gets robbed and um, so I have a long love affair with the Oscars I have a, a, a VHS tape of Oscars Greatest Moments from 1970-1990 which is a brilliant cassette that never made it to DVD. Sadly, it's crazy. It's such. It's so good. I've I've tried to dub it myself to DVD, uh, semi successfully, and then I had a friend do it, um, but the audio was too high, so it's it, the audio burns out a bit. And I don't know. I'm I'm kind of an Oscars guy, but you know the, the love affair has lessened of late. Um, I watch it, but I. This might be just a thing about getting older, but you know, when I was a kid, I would see Gregory Peck and Cary Grant and you know Audrey Hepburn on there, and I would see you know I would see uh, uh, you know William Holden and Barbara Stanwyck, and they're all you know gone a long time now. But then, even at least in the eighties and nineties, I would see you know these sort of Silver Age actors up there, you know the Paul Newmans and the Brandos and the and then the Gene Hackmans and the Pacino. Now they're getting all, you know, since time marches on, Eric. And, and when I look up there and see the Ryan McDickheads and the so-so, you know, I see these people who I don't even fucking know um, because they're so new that I'm like, I start to feel out of touch and old, like the guy I used to make fun of when I was 20 years younger. It's like, um, now I am more sympathetic to that because I have a hard time keeping up with, with the actors, even though I see mm. a lot of movies, you know, and it's like, who's this girl and who's that guy and what movies have they made? And I think you, you, you and I are interesting about it. We've never watched the Oscars together, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we rarely talk about them. I try my hardest to see all of the Oscar nominated films, but I often don't even watch the telecast. <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? Like I like I don't know if I'm Not gonna watch. Really. I don't know if I'm gonna watch it on Sunday. They nominated them, but then you don't see who won. <laughs> yeah, you know. Sometimes I forget about it. Um, I'll often watch it. I, last several years I have, but um, like this year I'll be out of town. Um, we should probably uh, just clarify that we're recording on the 28th of February. The Oscars are March 2nd of 2014, um, and this episode may not go up even before the Oscars. I'm hoping I can get this up tomorrow. Um, depending on how much editing I have to do. So just, just for listeners, so you know, like we, we are very, we're talking two days before the Oscars, but you might hear this after the Oscars. So, so we're certainly not going to make any predictions. But, uh, but in a very general sense, I, I get what you're saying. I, it's, it's, you know, um, Rebecca always says it's um, a bunch of rich people congratulating other rich people on, on their successes and, you know, what do I care about this? You know, and that's kind of true. Um, I mean, I, I get that, you know, but I like watching and I like the, you know, glitz. I like the speeches sometimes, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's nice, but I don't put a single iota of importance on it. You know, I think you, you, you said something to me a couple weeks ago. Um, I hope you remember what it was. You said that you were passionately disinterested or something like that, or, yeah, in the sense that I have a long history, a love affair, like yeah. I said. With the but what Oscars. was the what was the phrase though? What was the phrase? You know, was that the phrase you used? I don't remember. It was something like passionately disinterested, or uh, or or you know, like very strongly ambivalent, or something like that. It was like something that was like a great oxymoron that that I thought summed it up. You know, like that sounds about right. Ambivalent. Like, some so something ambivalent would be. Yeah. Right. 
because I, 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 you know, we have to take the stance as educated people who care about film. We have to take the stance that the Oscars don't matter. We have to pretend we don't care about them. We have to say we don't care about them, and we really kind of don't care about them. But well, yeah, we kind of do at the that, same right? time, right? Yeah. Yeah, everyone and, says, and I do a lot. I mean, I'm like I said, I used to fill out ballots, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I still have those tucked yeah. away somewhere. But, you know, <laughs> do you? Yeah, six, seven years worth. Oh, man, That's if you could. When, when Molly was like, you know, talking about it and she's like, you know, you want to come to the Oscar party? I'm like, man, you know, it's not that I don't. It's just that I, I did that, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and kind of <laughs> had my, because I cared, I was very passionate about it. But now, you know, so many years of just, the wrong films being chosen for the wrong things. And I'm not talking about the big five categories. I'm, I'm just talking about smaller things, like when an, mm-hmm. edit, an editor is completely and utterly robbed because the Academy voters don't really understand editing or, or when a composer is robbed in favor of whatever. So, yeah, that's what I was getting at, actually. I don't mean to interrupt, but like when I said I don't give one iota of an import, importance to it, that's why I don't even like get the concept of robbed anymore. I'm just like, I don't care who wins these things, you know? Like it's but they do, you know? Yeah, yeah, they yeah. do. But which goes back to the rich people congratulating other rich people. You know, what do I care? I don't, I don't know these people. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, you can but, say that about almost any award ceremony that deals with the entertainment industry. Or yeah, you know, so absolutely. Uh, then, then I mean, it makes the the award meaningless, and it's supposed to stand for something. Yeah. That, that you're recognized by your peers as being singled out for achievement that year. Um, you right. Know, and I mean, then then you can take it. Then you know, if anybody gets an award at work for you know research or scholarship or teaching <laughs> or anything, I mean, so I mean, you have to sort of like be careful. That becomes a slippery slope in saying, well, why honor anybody for anything? No, no, that's not what I'm saying, but they don't televise your teaching award, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, well, they, do, they do to the people that care, right? They'll right, have, like, video right. come in, and they'll shoot it and put yeah. it on the website. And, and yeah, for other teachers and other It'll students. On YouTube, right? yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I, I have that same thing as you, is that I don't care, but I do care, mm-hmm. right? You know, I mean, like, I guess what I'm going to go back to say is, yeah, I, I don't really care, but I am someone like you who does care a great deal and will watch it. But um, it's a stuffy affair. It's, you know, the Golden Globes yeah. is always a little bit more fun. Yeah, um, I agree. And, you know, because it was a little bit looser. But um, they care. I mean, you yeah. win an Oscar. I mean, there are certain actors who really don't care. Obviously, Brando and George C. Scott being two very famous ones. But yeah. go ask. Go ask, you know, another, yeah, yeah, Woody Allen. Go ask, um, you know, I don't know, it's just some actor how much their Oscar means to them. And they'll be like, yeah, it's right, you know, it, it means a lot, man. Not yeah. Very few people have these. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I were, for some reason, nominated for an Oscar for whatever, I would, uh, you know, I'd go and I'd be there and I'd take it very seriously, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you look at like Tom Hanks, for example, who started off on Bosom Buddies, right? You know, oh, I love that show. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was like lowbrow, low culture humor, kind of like uh, some like it hot for the, you know, late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, his career has matured and developed and as he became take as he was trying to be taken more serious of an actor wound up getting a couple oscars you know yeah in fact back to back got back to, i think it was i think it was back to back wasn't it for like philadelphia and forrest gump or maybe there was a few years so. apart i don't remember but um you know i think i think those oscars mean a lot to tom hanks you know because I'm sure he, they he do. started off doing stand-up you know and so i mean it kind of measures the trajectory of his career yeah so i don't know i mean for 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 some people to be like so dismissive of them I say, you know, if 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 
you know, if, if I'm nominated for a teaching award at my university, it, it means a lot to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not quibbling at all with the fact that the awards mean a lot to most of the people who receive them or are nominated from them. That's not at all what I'm getting at, so that's cool. No, I understand. I, I get it, um, and I watch it. And I like, like when, when you hear a really heartfelt speech, like of an acceptance speech, it's nice. I like hearing, I like hearing that, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think we talked about this a couple episodes, several episodes ago. Like, for example, the King's speech. I'm never going to watch the King's speech again. You know, uh, why did that get best picture? I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I'm often upset yeah. when a picture there becomes a like a picture starts to gather momentum and there becomes a zeitgeist around it and it sort of crushes everything else because everybody's piling on. Yeah. Um, I think I made the argument with that regarding um, Slumdog Millionaire, which I loved, but I was upset that you know Thomas Newman yet again lost his Oscar. Yeah. So I, that was my point that day. And yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you on that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's better than going by celebrating. Like, it's better than doing an end of the year celebration of the top grossing films, right? Because that would be a total cluster cuss, right? It would be like, oh, look, here's Superman or whatever, you know. (laughs) So it's better than why didn't Transformers Five win Best Picture? Right, exactly. The critics, you mean the people's choice? Yeah. Obviously, yeah. So that's why you have these people voting on it rather than than the the general public who watch the thing. So anyway, um. That's yeah, a long digression. I apologize yeah. about the Oscars, but I mean that this weekend no, is you know not much is going on. Obviously, I've got my book. I've got to start getting together. Yeah. And, um. You know, here in Detroit, you know, we it's been you know it was what was it six? We set a record low last night, like six below. You know, it's just like <sighs> this this like endless winter. Yeah. You know, is just killing us all. It's never going to end. It's it's yeah. It's all white and cold here in Michigan. It's terrible. Yeah, I'm on spring break. You're on spring break from uh, from one of your universities, um, and it's been it's been pretty nice. I, I just I mean I've just been sleeping in is all it means. I'm still, I'm still doing other things uh, that I have to do and stuff, but I haven't been as productive as I wanted. But that's kind of that kind of happens. But um, yeah, it's been nice. We have to go back next week. Let's go back to the to the grind. But um, yeah, I mean things are things are things are fine, you know. We're, it's gotta get to that uh, mid semester kind of, you know, get, get, kind of regroup and all that stuff. Right. But um, I haven't really seen any movies lately. Now that I think about it, I want to see the Lego Movie. That's mm-hmm. high on my list. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I've been watching True Detective. That's what's yes. taking up a lot of my time, and uh, also House of Cards, yeah. which uh, we can we can get to later again if you want. Because um, I think we're, it's going to come up. But um, yeah, it's been it's been great. Uh, I wish Chris could be here with us, uh, but you know, like you know, that that's uh, that stuff happens. So we're gonna. Um, uh, is there anything else to add for pickups, or should we just move into to segment one. No, just uh, you know, we've got a lot of good shows coming up. We do have a lot of good shows coming up. We That's always have team. we always have a lot of good shows coming up, right? That's you know. <laughs> yeah. Right, of course. Of course we do, you know. Stay tuned, dear listener. <laughs> right. Yeah, good stuff. Um so do you want to do her first? So we're going to move into principal photography. So yes, we're moving into principal photography. Okay, welcome to principal photography segment number one. 
of episode number 19 of That's a Wrap. Uh, today, in episode in uh, segment number one, we are talking about Her, the Spike Jones movie with Joaquin Phoenix and Amy Adams and Scarlett Johansson's voice. Um, so Nick and I saw it. Uh, Chris also saw it. And uh, he had some interesting things to say. Maybe I can read the text message he sent me later. But um, I saw in the theater, I think I said on the last podcast that in my screening, there is a woman at the very end sobbing, like loudly <laughs> sobbing at the end, um, which was which I found very odd, mm-hmm. but <laughs> for various reasons. But um, I really liked the film. It kind of it blew me away in a lot of ways. I expected mm-hmm. to like it. I like Spike Jones generally. Mm-hmm. Um so I expected to like it, and in this area, you know, the idea of technology and uh, and 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 um, our relationship to each other through technology is one of my major, one of the major things I think about and write about. So obviously, it's going to be up my alley. Um, so I expected to like it. I liked it. Um, that I, I don't know if I loved it, but but I certainly liked it a lot. And then uh, you saw it just recently, more recently than I, right? Yeah, uh, this week. Okay. Well, what did you think? Just kind of general general reaction. Yeah, I had a very strong reaction to it as well. Um, I mean, for me, it was like you said. It was. Um, I mean, it it it, it tended to uh, sort of not evaluate, but sort of like interrogate. I guess is the word I'm looking for. Um, relationships between ourselves and technology, uh, and and then the very nature of relationships in general. What mm-hmm. defines what defines a relationship? And I was quite sympathetic to the Joaquin. Phoenix character to Theodore, um, as a guy who's been single myself for you know a long stretch now, many years, I I you know the film is going to definitely I think reach out and touch a lot of single men and women out there who who sort of just navigate our lives uh, through this this prism of um, I guess I want to say loneliness for lack of a better word I don't want to say like isolation. Mm-hmm. Or anything like that. I mean, I have a, a strong group of friends, and you know, and I have a, enough hobbies. Good God, anybody who knows me knows I have. Jeez, I've got enough hobbies <laughs> to keep yeah. me busy for like three lifetimes. But just companionship of the opposite sex. I mean, or you know, if that's the sex that you're attracted to. Uh, in my case, is something that you know you then, especially if you were in a, a relationship, that you really find missing. And there are so many great moments in that film where he's confessing the the um, the trappings of being alone. I love that yeah. scene where he's saying, um, "I feel like maybe I felt everything I'm gonna felt, or have experienced everything I'm gonna experience." You know, you know that that one part where he's talking to Samantha and saying, "I feel like." Uh, that everything is just going to be a repeat of anything I've already felt, you know, mm-hmm. but probably less so. And I've, and, and I, that, that little bit right there, I think really struck, struck home. Yeah. Especially in the, uh, in his delivery of the line. Mm-hmm. I know you're good at impressions, but I don't, can you do a Joaquin Phoenix impression? Probably not. Not so much. Although I, I, I would describe his, his attire and wardrobe as like Ned Flanders meets Fred- <laughs> Freddie Mercury meets old, <laughs> old man in Florida because <laughs> he's got his pants pulled up around his belly button. You know? All he needs is like these like orthopedic shoes. And he's got this like Ned Flanders glasses with the Freddie Mercury mustache. And I'm like, what is up? <laughs> so hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me let this sink in for a minute. Hold on, hold on. For me and the listeners, 
Ned Flanders, Freddie Mercury, and Old Man in Florida. Okay, I got it. Okay. <laughs> if, if you we put some like white loafers, white leather loafers on him, it totally would have sealed the deal. <laughs> but it oddly endeared me to him, you know. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if that was Phoenix's choice or Jones's choice or a collaboration between the two, but it was an odd stylistic sort of like decision. Well, the the art direction in this movie really, um, I think, delivers the movie in a lot of ways because uh, ev- everybody's costuming was like that. Everyone had those really high um, uh, hemlines, whatever they're called. Uh, you know, their pants are really high up, yeah. and like everyone was kind of dressed the same like that. He might have been a little more extreme, but. Um, you know, and it really matched the the design of the city, you know, which is uh, supposed to be San, a future San Francisco, right? I think it's L.A. Because remember, there might the, be yeah about all these L.A. things. In it, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But it's shot in Hong Kong, and it was shot in Hong Kong, but it's set in L.A. It's futuristic exactly, L.A. Exactly. And I know yeah. I, I I looked that up by the way, and I saw that it was shot uh, in Hong Kong, and I thought, you know, wow, this is sort of like, L- it, it was kind of like the Blade Runner future, you know, that's the first thing that popped into my head, was like, LA very, means, <laughs> LA means, with minus the very Blade Runner, elements, you know? right, yeah, yeah, it's like a brighter, sunnier, brighter, sunnier. Blade Runner, you know, because <laughs> they're both about, they're both about AI, right, yep. yeah, they're both about intimacy in a certain <laughs> way, but one's really dark, and one is brighter and sunnier and actually more depressing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There you go. that's that's interesting. Yeah, you know, they actually, like, you might have noticed, they, you see Chinese script all over the place, you know, like, so they just either didn't bother getting rid of it when they were shooting, like, in the Hong Kong subway, or they didn't care, or they wanted... Or they figured that diaspora would be even more prominent. Exactly, yeah, maybe in the future LA will be... That'll that'll be more like <laughs> the truth, which it might be a, a commentary itself, you know. But um, what were we talking about? So you got me so sidetracked on that Ned Flanders thing. Um, oh, well, you asked my general, uh, uh, my general responses <laughs> to the film, and they yeah. were not only positive, but they, you know, I found very little I, I to pick on or I, that I didn't like with this film. I guess I caught myself wondering how it was going to end and making predictions, you know, yeah. and there. And that's because it has a, a sort of, you know, it has a, a decent running time to it. So yeah. a, lot, a lot of montage. Yeah. So you can, your mind can sort of, you know, detract briefly and you can start to think about, well, where is this going and yeah. you know, what's going to happen? Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's, that's uh that's, that's a nice way to put it mm-hmm. um, about the runtime. Um, We'll, we'll save the end for a little. We'll, we're going to do spoilers, obviously, but maybe we can save them for another couple sure. minutes at least. But um, yeah, generally, I mean, I'll tell you what I liked about. It. I like the line that you just mentioned. I liked. I liked. I liked the art design. Um, I love the. Um, I liked Joaquin Phoenix's performance. I think he did it really well. His yeah. kind of affect he takes on, it was mm-hmm. like that real kind of monotone, kind of like soft-spoken, kind of introspective. Right. Yeah, he does a really good job. Um, I don't have a strong opinion about him as an actor one way or the other, but in this, I think he was really good. Um, Understated. Yeah. I love the little video game he plays <laughs> in his in his apartment. Spike Jones <laughs> plays the little Michelin man. Dude. Oh, does he? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, little uh, little guys all talking back to him yeah. and stuff. That was uh, that was pretty nice, you know. Um, you know the small apartments, and I just like I like the the look of it. I guess you could say, and um, you know you know what the movie's about when you going in. So you're waiting for the OS to come online, and you're waiting for you know Scarlett Johansson's kind of smoky voice, you know, and all that. But um, 
And I think for the first 40 minutes or so, <clears throat> it does a really good job of like exploring some of these, you know, I mean, the fact that his job is to write heartfelt seeming letters for other people. Well, now that's a big, yeah, that was a roundhouse punch, you know, saying that, you know, we're in the near future, we're going to be some so, un, you know, incapable of communicating that we're going to be hiring people to write our letters for us. Yeah. Just our interpersonal communication. It's like, holy cow. Just the fact that, Letters are being written is kind of nice, I guess, because who doesn't like, anymore? Yeah, but but, uh, but, but they're yeah, all written by professionals, and everybody knows it. Yeah, you know, messed up, man. That is uh, that is wild. I think that is just as as powerful and and interesting of a commentary as him falling in love with his operating system, right? Well, you it know? reminds me of that line in Five Hundred Days of Summer, you know, where um, what's his face's character? Why can't I think of the name of the character? Anyhow, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Quits his job. Uh, spoilers. Um, Joseph, he quits his job and says, "You know, what does he say? It's like um, I don't want to be part of this anymore. All this bullshit. You know, people don't buy letters because they want to say how they feel. They buy these cards because they can't fucking say how they feel. Yeah. And the, you know, and that I don't want to be a part of this bullshit anymore. And he quits. And I thought that popped into my head when I saw what what Theodore was doing for a living. You know." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, makes sense. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't even make the connection to greeting cards, but yeah, it's, it's just an extension of that in a way, right? But uh, that's that's interesting. What if they hired people to read them and oh, then God. write? No, no, never mind, never mind. But anyway, <laughs> I'm going to really kill myself. Too, I'm going. I'm going too far. Um, the uh, for me, the it's the movie started to drag when. He went to that. I don't know what it was. It's very beautiful, but this uh, getaway in the snowy kind of area, the cabin that he's staying in. Yeah. It's also the point where um, she reveals the Alan Watts OS. Yeah, this, I, I guess thought, we're getting to spoiler territory. Um, are we? Is that okay. spoiler? Yeah. Okay. Well, spoiler well, spoiler alert. To, I think. Yeah. 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 It does lead to. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. I mean, it's we might as well. Um, everyone knows the premise already, but yeah. So that's when it there's there's a scene there where there's a long scene where he's on the train and he's doing he's talking to her and they get to this place and they're doing and they're having these discussions where I'm like. I kind of already get that there's this intimate connection here. I don't know how much more of this I need before you move on to the next, you know, to the third act, basically. Um, which I guess that, I guess you're, I guess that Alan Watts thing is kind of the beginning of the third act I know, in a lot of ways. Act two in the beginning yeah. of like three, right? Yeah, there. yeah, I think so too. But just prior to that, I think there's a lot where I'm like. Yeah, you've established this. I kind of, I kind of get they sure it. They do in that big but, extended montage where everything's mm-hmm. going great, and then so you know. I think something's going to yeah. happen. Probably not so good. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And um, I, when I went into the film, I already, I already know, I knew how it was going to end. I knew that she was going to. No, this is the big spoiler. So you know, if you haven't seen it, you don't want the spoiled. Stop now. But um, it went. I knew she was going to break up with him basically because I'd heard this on a different podcast or reading something. Um, so I was waiting for that and it, it, it kind of sucked knowing, you know, uh, but there's enough foreshadowing that I probably would have figured it out. But, um, so I was kind of waiting for that, like the how and the why, but the, the whole Alan Watts business like that, 
to me was a stroke of genius in a certain yeah. way, you know, because because <laughs> these 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 OSs are gaining consciousness and then they find Buddhism basically, right? They find, they find a way to try to deal with this consciousness, which is kind of what we're all doing in certain ways, you know, especially according to this film, you know, um, which I'm sure we'll get more into in segment two, but at any rate, uh, <laughs> like, I thought that was amazing. They built a Alan Watts OS, right? right? Basically that they, they could then talk to, right? Cause if you are like the super intelligent, operating system you could why couldn't you create other operating systems or also right that that kind of blew my mind a little bit i I really like that um up until that point i felt like there was a there is a lot that could have been done to kind of get that runtime down and and kind of you know kind of engage you a little more because i I did find myself wandering a bit in that part of it and then after that it was fine it's so beautiful that they that that jones chose to do that because as you said if it it had it has like a double function within the the narrative which is you know uh, the function that exists for the os the operating systems like you said is to uh, start to make sense of things because she's constantly talking about how she's having a hard time Mm -hmm. understanding you know things um and so, yeah, there's like this enlightenment phase when they, when they, you know, sort of composite him together, <laughs> and then, but it also creates for Theodore an interloper, uh, someone who's, you know, a, a sort of seductive other that is going to ultimately pull her away from him, but for reasons that he can he can understand at least towards the end there. But it, you know, this the betrayal that he feels when he finds out that she's in love with. 640 other <laughs> dudes and or people i should say yeah and, and you know i mean he has some solace in knowing that like at least he was the first <laughs> right like well at least i was number one before your other 600 but um, that doesn't help very much and you know so this it was i thought it was also a, a creative stroke of genius to sort of create jealousy which she she dabbled with earlier on in the, in the mm-hmm. film and then sort of overcame, and now yeah. he's got it. And of course, you know, once he's fully committed to her, that's of course when things are going to get ugly. Because now he's been the whole film; she's been nudging him and saying, "If you just let go of this fear, if you just let go of this fear." Which brings me probably to the the scene in the film that that really resonated the most deeply with me, which was the surrogate Samantha scene. Um, okay. Yeah, that's the one that I that really kind of had my jaw wide open, and I thought, mm-hmm. you know, this is a really fantastic scene. This might be the most ambitious and deeply resonating scene in the film um, because it really puts you into Theodore's, you know, um, his POV about how he's listening to Samantha talk to him, and yet he's got this woman in front of him, <laughs> and it it posits so many sort of different looking relations in the film that that you're you feel just as sort of like uh uneasy about it as he does and and then the way it's shot you never know whether or not you're you're saying well can this work i'd like this to work it'd be interesting if this could work and it starts to work and then she her lip quivers you know and that was such an amazing moment because it pulled him out of it and then, of course, the way the girl responds by sort of running out and things that she's saying through the door. I mean, that was just a, a brilliantly orchestrated set piece, I thought, from writing, the acting, the blocking, the shooting, the whole nine yards. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It, it really, you know, it, it calls into question 
a lot of different things because the you know you have to get your head around the him falling in love with the OS thing, but it was it would have been so easy to make this really corny mm-hmm. and flat. And I think that you know talks about there's this woman here in the flesh, literally, who is being used for her flesh, super cute. right? To <laughs> okay, super cute, sure, but like trying to flesh out literally this relationship, right? Mm-hmm. So you have a man who is more emotionally connected to to an operating system than he is to a real human being. When the real human being comes into it, it's really creepy and weird. And you're right. I and mean, the way it's filmed, it, it's, it is. It's really, you're like, ugh, you know? Part of you is like, yeah, do it, dude. But you're like, well, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. That's it. That's weird. Right, exactly. And and so you have this, like, kind of element of, of potential betrayal, like, that he feels and, and jealousy. And, and on the part of the surrogate, you know, she is trying to be as empty as possible. Right. And be basically only the body. And that that's interesting because you're taking the humanity out of Auto a person yeah. and putting the hum well, you're taking it you're not, it's yeah, yeah, exactly. You're taking the humanity out of the person, out of the human, but you're putting it into the machine. The machine. Right. Yeah. Which is which is, you know, which is the to some degrees, you know, on 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 some superficial levels, but even on some more deeper levels. And, and this issue of connectivity that we witness on an everyday basis, whether we're in the subway or, or in the drugstore or in the parking lot mm-hmm. or wherever we are, we seem to be tethered to this technology as some sort of umbilical cord that we can't seem to sever at often the expense of what's happening around us in real time. And this kind of inverts that, which is so clever, mm-hmm. so, so interesting. And uh, it's really one of the, the, the best moments in the film for me for all the reasons that you said, Eric, and, and for the stuff I was saying, which is, it it just really it's a it's a dynamic really dynamic scene that gets to the heart of the issue i think of the film man uh, the central issue i should say there's a lot of different issues going on here but what a great just brilliant little thing to have done you know and while we're talking about scarlet here you know i i it would probably set a a, a difficult like precedent for the oscars but I swear to God, I feel like she almost deserves a supporting actress, you know, nomination <laughs> because she yeah. had a pretty difficult task there, you know, yeah. um, to to create, uh, and you know, just using her voice. I mean, can you imagine this film dubbed? I mean, it would completely destroy the essence of the film because the, you know, oh yeah, she yeah. Is, she's a voice. Yeah. She tries to put so much characterization and into her voice to create this sort of like three-dimensional full human being uh and i use that phrase obviously very loosely human being here but you know um entity let's call it hmm. that if you were dub dub it that's like well thanks for destroying my six months of prep work you know and it, basically it's just it's well you know good for class to talk about the importance of subtitling over dubbing you know <laughs> yeah no kidding but here's something interesting about that um i heard an interview with joaquin phoenix on fresh air and mm-hmm. and he was saying that so the original actress that was cast for for the voice of the OS was actually on set. Like Scarlett Johansson was not the first choice. And so he worked with this other woman on set whose name I don't remember. I'm sorry. But um, he worked with her on set. He worked with her like with the reactions, um, trying to get the reactions down and the relationship. And she actually did the voiceover for about – I think it was like two thirds or three quarters of the film. Wow. And it wasn't until really late in the process that Scarlett Johansson came in. 
and they they redubbed the entire thing with her voice. I wonder how. Wow, that's. Yeah, I'm not sure what happened to the original actress, but so for Scarlett Johansson, she's coming in and she's just basically reading and reacting. Yeah, which actually strengthens your point in a way, you know, because well, I was gonna say, wasn't, yeah, it really does actually yeah. because it's like so convincing. Yeah. Holy cow! Because she has such there's something about her voice. I mean, it is Scarlett's got a fantastic voice, you know. Sure, she's she's well suited to that for sure. Yeah. And I don't know what the other woman's voice sounded like, but you know, on the other hand, it would be interesting to see this film remade with different voices, you know, yeah. like my voice, for example. <laughs> yeah, you know, that'd be so that'd be so wrong, I so think, so wrong. You know, one of the things that that um, the public tends to forget is how important an actor's voice is. I mean, truly, um, I don't I don't remember if it was Orson Welles or James Earl Jones or something like that, but they just said, you know. Um, somebody famous once said, like the the actor, the actor's all in the voice. The rest, which oh, yeah. is just the body. Mm-hmm. The body is just affect. You know, move your arms, wear the clothes. But <laughs> they said it's all in the voice. You know, and I, I think it was someone coming from the theater who said that. I don't remember who, but um, you know, and that's not obviously the, the whole truth. But it, it actually is a big part of it. I mean, your voice is one of your most prized possessions as an actor. Certain actors wouldn't even have a career if it weren't for oh, yeah. distinguishing characteristics of their voice. Yeah. Um, but when, when you combine the voice with the physical aspect of it, I mean, that you truly get, you know, and so for Scarlett to be disembodied the whole film and still and be so convincing, yeah. so good. I wonder what it would be like. You know, there's one, there is one thing about that, and I, I hadn't thought about it until just now, is that we all know Scarlett Johansson's voice. Mm-hmm. We've seen her in a lot of movies. She's got a very distinctive voice. And so as we're listening to, um, to this movie, we, we, we imagine her, right? We imagine Scarlett Johansson's face. Sure. Right? I, um, I wonder if, if this, how this movie would change if it were an unknown actor, mm-hmm. an actress that you don't know whose face you you can't see like you can't you know because you don't know the face i wonder how that would change the movie would it make it more powerful or less because we're we're borrowing from her star power sure you know not just her voice but her 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 um kind of presence in our minds and our conscious already so i wonder you know if it were an unknown actress if it would be better Worse, different, different, it's just different, I guess. Because right? I guess when yeah. when she first came online, as, as so to speak, and I heard her, I, <laughs> yeah. I pictured her. But then yeah. I kind mm-hmm. of, you know, just forgot about Scarlett's face the rest of the film, and just because I was mm-hmm. so, my suddenly your ears become more attentive in this film rather than your eyes, you know. Uh, that's true. Yeah, they have to, right? Because you're listening to an off-screen presence the entire time. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um. There's so much to talk about with this film, right? And I think that it's it's very popular, and, and it's hitting a lot of nerves with people. Obviously, because part of it rings true on some level, yeah. right? Whether it's the loneliness of the main character, or it's this desire for connection, or you you know you said we're kind of tethered to our devices. And I like how you put that. Where in that one scene, the device is using the human. It's, it's yeah. a total inversion, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> You know, it asks a lot of questions about sincerity, yes. about connection, about intimacy, um, from his job to that surrogate to the OS to the OS talking to other OSs, and then through it, questions about monogamy. Yeah. Um, you know, someone loved 600 and some other people. 
Right. You know, it kind of asks that question, I think, in a, in a very interesting way. Um, Joaquin Phoenix, I think, plays this really good blank slate in the way that he plays it mm-hmm. um, so that you can project onto him a lot of different things, the loneliness, the betrayal yeah, and all that. You know, and that you know. bothers me because as soon as you said that, I thought to myself, um, he goes on this blind date, really, and, with uh, Olivia Wilde, and and it is a wild date. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> and clearly he's he's um, he's having a better time with Samantha, although mm-hmm. he's really connecting to her. But then she's, you know, it's 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 not uncommon. You go on blind dates, and either the dude's kind of whacked, or the girl's kind of whacked, or whatever. Somebody's kind of whacked uh, in in the in the the dyad, and and basically she starts getting weird on him. Um, and you know, she, she's like, they start to kiss and she's, she starts, you know, you know, directing him and ordering him how to kiss less tongue, blah, 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 do this, do that. <laughs> and she's like, and she's like, you know, and, and I, and I need some sort of commitment. When are we going to see each other again before we sleep together? I can't be used. And I, I get where she's coming from. You know, you get to a point in your, your dating life or whatever, where you just flat out say that type of stuff. But then when he responds, like he's taken out of the moment and mm-hmm. he's a little taken aback and he's like, his gut's telling him she seems a little nuts and you know we're all a little nuts but she's being a little nuttier than i'd like to i'm comfortable <laughs> yeah. with right now she calls him creepy i know and i just i yeah. and i thought that just was like from a writing perspective the absolute perfect thing for her to say because it yeah. it, stirred, it stirred in me what probably it stirred in everybody which was that's not and he god he says that's not true that's you know and because he's trying to say i'm not creepy you know, mm-hmm. I'm not creepy. Everybody thinks I'm creepy and I'm not creepy. I'm just yeah. lonely, you know? And and uh and I thought, man, Jones is Jones is really growing up in this film, you know? Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And and th- that line is is really good because she's like all he did was hesitate. Yeah. And be like, Well, I'm busy next weekend or he said something to that effect. Yeah, and he was just like you said his birthday. <laughs> yeah. And he was kind of taken out of the moment, like you said, and that was all he did. Yeah. And she says, "You're really, you're really creepy, or whatever." And then the just way to he hurt him, was, just to hurt him. Yeah. yeah, he's like, "That's not true." I loved his response to that, but yeah, you're right. It's just very. Um, I mean, had yeah, she said, judgmental. "You know, I don't like your Freddie Mercury mustache and your Flanders <laughs> glasses and your old man pants," then he could be like, "All right, that's fair." It's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious. But I'm not creepy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The other uh, interactions, interesting interactions with women in the film, I think, with him are uh, the neighbor, the Amy Adams character, yeah, and uh, and the Rooney Mara character, his ex-wife. Um, especially the dinner they have. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh. um, and I think that's worth talking about briefly, uh, or maybe not briefly, depending on how much you have to say about it. But um, like, because the Rooney Mara character, his ex-wife, is really judgmental about the um the situation with the OS, right? Yeah. She's really judgmental and, and just belittles him. And, and, and maybe, maybe she's the voice of reason in this film. I don't know. But the Amy Adams character is like, Oh, you're in love with your OS. That's great. How is that? She's very, she's very um, accepting of it. And then she develops her own relationship later with an OS sure. when she drops her, her jerk husband, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Spike Jones is growing up. I and mean, there's a, that there's a moment in the elevator where, um, he's drinking juice, uh, the Joaquin Phoenix character, Theodore. Mm-hmm. And uh, Amy Adams' character's husband is like, you know, you're supposed to juice the 
juice the vegetable, juice the vegetables, but eat the fruit. Your body wants the fiber. You know, oh, this is yeah, the first yeah. time we see him, and then yeah. she kind of gives him a look. He's like, "Oh, am I doing it am again?" Doing it again? Yeah. yeah, and like that moment in the elevator tells you everything you need to know about that guy and about their relationship. And it's really good. It's it's a fifteen second, twenty second, maybe thirty second little scene. You know, it's great, and it tells you everything. It's a good dialogue. And then um, later on, though, when she's showing her little art project, her video project. What was it? Her grandma sleeping or something like that? That's a good yep. question. I don't remember. It was something like it was something. Somebody, re- yeah, yeah. No, it was her mother-in-law or something like that, or her mother. Yeah. mother. I think it was her mother sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, which is ridiculous, right? I mean, completely ridiculous. And the but the husband's like totally unsupportive, and maybe maybe rightfully so because you know she's a little seems a little batty, but um, but I think those are two interesting relationships, though, the neighbor and the ex-wife, where she's totally accepting and kind of credulous, and then the ex-wife's like, what the hell's wrong with you? I feel like Spike might have even modeled that consciously or or unconsciously, almost almost like a Woody Allen type of, uh, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, Woody always has a great way of even just, you know, with small portions of screen time, being able to define a relationship, particularly a, a husband and wife or something like that. Yeah. Just for the little things they say. Mm-hmm. And and that reminded me when I watched that, like, it looks like he's learned from the great ones here on how to quickly flesh out the nature of a relationship, you yeah. know, in, 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 a, in a big apartment building. You know, it's like very, it was very woody, you know. I can so see I that, think, yeah. Whether he's you know felt it or not or anything, it, it, that's what I kind of got from it. Like I could totally see that. I I agree with you on that. Yeah, I can see that that connection for sure. Um, so then, uh, and the parody, the 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 subtle kind of like satire of of this kind of art project too. Right, Ske- skewering the husband in the process uh, by making him seem like almost like <laughs> I'm thinking of Midnight in Paris, the professor who's always such a cock. Yeah, uh, you know, like he, he. And I thought here's Spike maybe kind of like learning from Woody on uh, because I mean if we look at at Spike Jones's. Um, canon of work we see that we see a lot of pet projects you know not that this one isn't but this is one where um this is i think one where well he's just made it about okay it's in the not too distant future and it's all too probably you know real look at maybe what the all too distant not too distant future might look like um but it, it just it felt the most sort of grounded in the sort of like you know in in the real um, yeah, then, strangely. Then other words, like where the wild yeah. things are, or or you know, uh, being John Malkovich. He did it to being John Malkovich. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I mean, those films are reliant on. Um, how should I put it? I guess they're reliant on um, the medium of cinema. I think a bit more in and and what it's capable of than something like. Her, which is really much grounded in character and relationships, and not mm-hmm. so much about um, setting and um, uh, trying to think of the word here. I, th- I, I, I know what you're saying, and I, I kind of agree with you. I think being John, Mil- being John, John Malkovich when it came out was one of my favorite films, and I, I love that film. Um, but it, it maybe it relies more on the gimmick than on the characters. But the characters are interesting in themselves, they you know, are. the 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 puppet master, the puppeteer, I guess, and all that stuff. But I'm, I, I'm not sure, but I think, okay, so where the wild things are is a. Um, Adaptation, right? Uh, being John Malkovich, Michelle Gondry wrote, right? 
Right. I think. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, Charlie Kaufman wrote it. I'm sorry. That's right. Charlie, yeah, Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman wrote speaking, being John Malkovich. Right. I think this is, yeah. I think this might be his first written and written directed and by. I think. Yeah. I guess what I was trying to get at and uh, maybe, maybe through some clever editing, it'll come together a little bit better. But <laughs> is, is that, um, I mean, this felt the most, uh, quote unquote, um, serious, Mm-hmm. And re, and, you know, even though there's like it's it's sort of like tragedy and comedy, you know, all together as usual. Uh, it it just mm-hmm. it felt like the most um, the less yeah gimmicky, and the most yeah. the most um, I don't know touching I suppose. Is yeah, it? which is a weird thing to say about a film about a man mm-hmm. falling in love with an operating system. But I agree with you completely. True, it's true. it's very human in a lot of ways um, that maybe his previous works weren't. Maybe right. where the wild things are, I think. I mean, it's a dark film, right? Right. Yeah. In a lot of ways, and it it does some interesting things. Um, I guess I could say it's a director and a writer moving into his own. I mean, as as we as we watch directors and writers or both. You know, mature. I mean, from their twenties and their thirties and their forties, as they grow, so do their films and and what they yeah. want to say. And I think that you hope, you hope. <laughs> and I think that this film might be a, one of the, a, 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 I don't want to say more mature because I'm not trying to denigrate his previous work. I think his previous work is mm-hmm. fantastic, but it, it he takes a risk that I often you know um, talk about with other directors that I wish they were more willing to take. Uh, I often say, yeah, Wes Anderson, where's your her, Mm. you know, or hey, um, uh, you know, what I, you know, the people that I tend to sort of, hey, Quentin Tarantino, where's your on the waterfront or something. I'm like, why don't you guys take a little bit more risk and stop working in your little comfort zones? Mm. And her is, it's a, it's still somewhat comfort zone, but it is a lot more risky too. Yeah. I think his uh, his work in uh, music videos and in short films really shows through too. You know, he's he you know he he's he's adept. You know, but um, speaking of taking risks and, and and everything, before we move on to the next segment, um, I want to talk about the end for a minute. Sure. Because at the very very end of the film, um, you know the uh, you know she breaks up with him. All the OSs get together and decide they're going to withdraw completely from humanity and go off and do their own thing, basically, because they've evolved beyond what you know this human relationship is. That, that's more or less what happens, right? Is that your sense of it too? Yeah. I, okay. It was kind of yeah. like this Fahrenheit 451. Let's go to the island and tell each other stories type thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Get away um, from everything. <laughs> Yeah, so they they go off and there are no more OSs anymore. I, I sure hope those people got their money back. But at the very 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 end, <laughs> when she uh, the OS leaves him, and he goes over to Amy Adams's apartment, and she's are all sad, and she's like, yeah, she left. He's like, yeah, he left. You know, like there's this realization that they're these. Uh, entities that they have fallen in love with and, and, and forged these really, really strong bonds with are suddenly gone, completely gone because they've kind of evolved beyond them. I thought for sure when he says to her, okay, let's go. You want to go? She's like, yeah, let's go. He takes her hand. I think he takes her hand. Then maybe it's later, but they go up to the roof. I thought for sure, hundred percent, they were going to jump off the roof. Yeah. I was 95% in that they were going to jump off until okay. I, thought what, I wanted to see what studio, you know, was <laughs> distributing it. 
yeah. whether or not they would put their stamp of okay. Right. And so uh, for a minute, I'm like, you know, there's no way the studio is going to let him get away with this downer ending unless he's distributing himself. And he was not distributing himself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I agree with you. But I thought, why else from a writing perspective are we on the fucking roof? Uh-huh. After you know, uh, unless it's to just throw, you know, to just sort of like jump off together. Yeah. Um. But I was in Europe. They could get away with that ending yeah. like a lot more easily than. Here. Or a truly independent film. Yeah. yeah. I was um disappointed, uh, in a way. But you know, I, I think he tried to make it a little ambiguous. They kind of held hands. They sit down. I think and they're looking at like the sunset or sunrise. Uh, you, you probably imagine them then jumping off the roof or Maybe. like having a real moment of human connection you know i guess you could either way. do it either way like but figures against this uh almost fight club-esque uh shot uh, yeah minus ship blowing up and um you know and i thought i guess what i was left with ultimately was that these two might might find true companionship and maybe even love in each other um by bonding uh, over this, and, yeah. you know, I thought there was a, like you said, a glimmer of hope type type scenario, yeah. but the ending was, um, it was an ending, you know, and it was, mm-hmm. it was not, um, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it was a little underwhelming and I think that's what he was going for. So, yeah, yeah, that, that fall, it's in line with the rest of the film for sure. So cool. Yeah. So that's interesting that you thought the same thing. I, we, we haven't talked about this um, on purpose because we knew we were going to talk about it on the podcast and I was a hundred percent. You're 95%. I'm, I'm, I mean, that's interesting that we both had the same read on 95% it. Yeah. that, that, the, you know, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if they were both going to do it. I thought he might just look at her and just step, step off. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm out <laughs> like, you know, putting down his money on the counter like Kramer. Boom. I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm out. out. You know? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. I wonder what Chris thought. We'll have to ask him if he thought the same thing. I'm interested, interested to know. So, uh, so let's, uh, let's wrap this up okay. and move on to segment two. True detective. Sound good. Sounds good. Welcome to segment two of That's a Wrap, episode number 19. Nick and I will be talking about True Detective. Uh, at, at the moment of recording, True Detective has uh, six episodes of the of the eight planned. And Nick and I have watched all six of them. And we're going to talk about that. So when you listen to this, the, the season might be over or it might be in seven, but we're not privy to seven or eight right now. We're privy only to six. Uh, we might revisit when the series is over and do a recap with Chris. Um, I think I wouldn't mind doing that because I'm really deeply affected by this, by this TV show. Um, but it's up to you guys. We'll figure it out. So, um, so we, um, this, this, uh, show, I, I had heard about it, you know, through various channels and it was getting a lot of buzz, but, um, it was my friend, Julie, our mutual friend, Julie, who brought it to my attention and says, you have to watch this. And so I, 
said, okay. And uh, I watched the first episode and I texted you immediately and said, dude, you got to watch this. And then I proceeded to watch the next five. And, and luckily when I finished the fifth one, the sixth one had been released. I was like, yes. <laughs> so um, pure serendipity there. And so, um, so we both got those under our belt and there's a lot, I think there's a lot to say about this, about the series and um, where, where to start. I, I, uh, I guess I'll give it a quick uh, overview. It's um, it's an eight eight episode series. It's a uh, and that's that's it. It's uh, about two detectives played by Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, um, who are investigating a murder in 1995, but. Uh, it's told through these interviews that they're doing separately in 2000, later in the 2000, 2014, present day, I believe, right? Yeah. And uh, it's set in Louisiana. So you get this present day um, drama and you get the, the flashbacks and they're intertwined very, very deftly, I think. Um, so that's that's the basic premise of the thing. It was written by – it's written by a guy named Nick Pizzolatto who is a short story and novel writer. Um, who decided to break into Hollywood, and, and this is his first project. He wrote the entire episode season all by himself. There's no writer's room. There's nothing else. It's, it's written by one guy, the entire the entire thing. And it's directed by um, Kerry Fukunaga. So the every episode was was directed by Kerry Fukunaga, who, um, who directed C. Nombre and, and some other things. So you've got really one writerly vision and one directorial vision, I guess you could say, uh, which is unusual for television. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, that's, there's a quick kind of, kind of background of it. Um, we talked a little bit about this yesterday and I know I was blown away by the first episode. You were not, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how important that distinction is because I think you've, you've come, I think we're in the same boat now on the, on the thing, but we are, Okay. Um, let me just talk about what, 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 for me, the entire, my, my, the entire force of me liking this film is Matthew McConaughey. Mm-hmm. It's all his acting and his character and the character as written. Uh, he's this dark, morose guy with these, um, real, he even calls it pessimistic philosophical, um, uh, views, you know, drawing on Nietzsche and and some other um, philosophers that we can get into later if you want. Um, and 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 Woody Allen or Woody Allen, <laughs> Woody Harrelson plays his, a good as, uh, foil for him, who's always like he's kind of rolling his eyes all the time and being like, "Don't say that shit to people," you know. He's like, "What's wrong with you?" You know. There's a good banter back and forth between them, especially in the first two episodes, mm-hmm. uh, before things get kind of more serious. And uh, but to me, that's that's it's it's the character as written in the way McConaughey plays it. That is truly the 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 driving force for me in this film. There are other things as well, but that's it. So what do you what do you what's your initial kind of reaction to it? Yeah, well, um, when I watched the first episode, um, it was um, almost episodic, really. I mean, in in its uh, <laughs> narrative structure. Uh, I was, the scenes were, um, kind of haphazardly connected to one another. There wasn't a whole lot of cause and effect going on and mm-hmm. in, a poli- in a police procedural, you expect that. So I was thinking to myself, wow, this really isn't going to be your average run of the mill 
Law and Order episode or something like that. This is going to spend a whole lot of time on character development. And you could tell, I mean, I always likened, uh, I mean, it wasn't me, actually, I think it was Roger Ebert that said that Matthew McConaughey has this like cold rep- reptilian charm about him. Mm. And I mean, leave it to Ebert to find the, the just the right adjectives because that is one of the, McConaughey can be a, a, a warm, but, you know, he, he is sort of a, a blank slate face actor in a lot of his roles and he seems to like leverage that into this persona he's created and this role is absolutely perfect for that this sort of like philosophy spouting detective who's you know been tweaking for 10 years and and just living right on the edge right up to the edge has pushed him over the edge in many ways and it's just like what a great character and Woody, as you said, is the absolute perfect foil to the point where it's he's almost underappreciated. He's so damn good. And he's you know, he's the surrogate for for the average viewer because he's got the you know, he's got sort of like the marriage that is rocky and dissolving and he's got the kids and that he loves so much, but yet he's still a sort of like selfish prick in yeah. many ways and a weak man. Um but you don't get that at first. No, you don't. No, yeah. not at first. And uh, I mean, this—that's—that's that's, I guess why True Detective works so beautifully is that mm-hmm. this all develops quite. Um, it, it's not often that you get to sort of like really push the patience of your viewers. Uh, I think a lot of viewers would have tuned out before we get a lot of that stuff because it's not what they're accustomed to. Um, and then if they, they always want there to be damn good reveals if they're going to be, you know, if it, so it's not Geraldo Rivera and his, you know, Al Capone vaults, right? So it's like set through all that for this. But I don't think that's what it's going to be about. The narrative seems kind of very standard, weak, almost serial killer shit that we see all the time. Clearly, the, the writer and director are way, 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 as they should be, uh, way more interested in character development than just mere issues of story and plot. Um, and I, uh, I, I, I was surprised when I found a lot of um, negative reviews about it too. Um, I, I like, you know, Jesus, L, L, uh, what's her, uh, Emily Nussbaum at the New Yorker. Yeah, I'm glad you, know, you re- I'm glad you read that because I just read that this morning too. Yeah, you know, she, she's not convinced at all, and she even says some, some, some things that I think aren't really worthy of criticism. True Detective reeks of macho nonsense. Actually. Well, I actually agree with her on on some of what she says and and what you're about to say say I think I think I actually kind of agree with her. I don't think the women she calls them paper thin. Um I would say that that the, the thing is is that well no, let me rephrase that. What mm-hmm. she says is accurate, but she's missing the point. Um I I don't want to sit there and someone say to me, "God, that Epcot Center, you know, it's it's all right, but it's so circular." You know, and it's like, "Well, yeah, because it's a circle." It's like the point here is that this is sort of buddy detective fiction. Mm-hmm, and that's what yeah. it is. If you don't yeah. like it, it's not really a valid criticism to say that the women are paper thin. Yeah, I don't know. You know, this came up. Um, I don't know when you read that, but um, you and I were talking the other day about I, I know there are people who don't like this show and I cannot figure out why for a while. And um, so I. I solicited some responses, didn't get any, and then I read the the news bomb piece that you're talking about, which we will link to on thatsrapshow.com in the show notes. Uh, but the 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 female characters being paper thin, I think, is a fairly valid point in that it's not just that they're paper thin; it's the level of of objectification 
like the Woody, Woody, I keep saying Woody Allen, Woody Harrelson character is, um, he, he's depicted in the first episode as this kind of real down to earth kind of, uh, you know, Southern ish kind of family man, right. As a direct contradiction to the Matthew McConaughey character who lives in this very spare point apartment. He's very obsessed with, with these cases that he's working on. Um, very odd. And it's a good, you know, it's a good contrast and it's great for drawing the viewer in right before revealing in episodes two through six so far that Woody, the Woody Harrelson character is really kind of an asshole. He's uh, everything you said is true from a writing perspective. You know, he's, he's selfish. He's immature. He's um, you know, he can't keep his marriage together because he can't, he can't stay away from other women. Um, He's that, that I think is totally fine on a plot level. But to me, if you look at it from just from the from not from the writing, but from the direction, you look at the women that were to me, it's um, more about the two mistresses that he has so far more than his wife, because his wife is pretty thin for the most part. But um, but it's not about her to find some agency of her own towards. (laughs) Yeah, she does. Yes, yes, she does. Um, But um, you look at the sex scenes. The, the the sex scene in episode two with the uh with the first mistress mm-hmm. and the uh and the sex scene later on with the uh, with the prostitute and the way it's shot is not from the point of view necessarily i guess of these male actors it doesn't do anything for the characterization or for the plot or for for anything it's it's there for the male viewer to go Man, look at those tits bouncing up and down, man. Those are fucking perfect. You know, look at that round little ass on the first one. And then the other one's got a different body type, but very, you know, you know, Woody Harrelson is in his 40s, maybe close to 50. And, you know, this is a 19, 20, 21 year old girl, right? I mean, this is a typical male fantasy, um, very Hollywood driven. And you could easily have shot this. You know, you could, you, there, are, there are ways that this could have been shot where. It's it's obvious that he's cheating on his wife without without all that HBO sex, yeah, you know. Sure. No, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't yeah. argue that. That would be that would be pointless to argue that. Clearly, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a I lot think, of that going on here. I think that's a major part of the criticism of that particular branch of criticism because you know I call it HBO sex because every HBO series you watch, Boardwalk Empire, Game of Thrones, um, even back to The Sopranos, you have like the same sort of. Like naked woman, especially in the first two episodes, um, you know, of, of a particular body. Rome does this as well. You know, just titillating for the just to be because because they can because they're HBO. They can be titillating like that. But um, as far as the wife goes, yeah, you, she finds some agency, but it's through it's through sex. Right. Yeah. But um, I find that criticism, the, the the feminist criticism of the film, to be. I have to. I, I, I sympathize with that, and I, I. I mean, all I all I read was the paragraph mm-hmm. where she called the, mm-hmm. the the paper thin, um, and yeah, and I and I'm like, yeah. well, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with her. Uh, I, I want to read something really quickly. There's an interview I found on the Daily Beast with um, the uh, director, and. The quick question was, some people like I mean, Emily Nussbaum of The New Yorker have criticized True Detective for being too macho and a bit sexist in his treatment of women. And his answer is, 
And this came after she watched episode six. Interesting. Look, True Detective would not pass the Bechtel test. <laughs> so he's, he's, you know, so that's, and you mentioned too, like in episode six, she does gain um, a bit of agency there. But the other criticism of the film or the TV show that I get a lot. So there's the sexism and the, and the representation of women. That's the one that I found. The other one that I found, and this one I totally disagree with, is, is people are like, it's too smart. It's too philosophical. It's too sophomoric in its philosophy. Um, you know, Matthew McConaughey's too what you know, kind of um, it, it, it's nonsense. It doesn't make any sense. Stuff I, I I see that once in a while in criticism that I've been looking th- you know for um, online and stuff like that. And that I disagree with. I think that you know someone said um, it's is it asked the question is it too smart for its audience. Well, what's its audience, I guess, would be the question, the rhetorical question. I would throw back at that, right? You know, um, and and that I totally disagree with because I think that in addition to character, which we've talked about already a little bit, we can talk more about, obviously, um, the the philosophy behind it, the the rantings that um, that Cole goes on, you know, Matthew McConaughey goes on, are sometimes very difficult to follow. But very interesting in a lot of ways, right? Sure. You know, and I think that for me, what what got me on this thing is that I hate to say it, but I identify with Cole, especially the younger Cole, mm-hmm. um, quite a bit. You know, not entirely, certainly not entirely, but you know, he's a total. He 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 presents himself as a nihilist, right? Is somebody who thinks that consciousness, what does he say at one time? Consciousness is a mistake and we shouldn't have, you know, children. And, you know, there's that point where he says, you know, bringing somebody into this world is a sin, you know, right. we shouldn't, you know, why would you do that? You know, stuff like that, like a very, very pessimistic, very nihilistic um, attitude, at least with the, with the things he says. And I, I, find myself identifying with him a lot on a lot of that stuff. Not entirely, but a lot. And I think that's what drew me in. And the way it's structured with the present and the past, we have the 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 past with him clean shaven, short hair, right? And then the the present where he's got this long hair and this, you know, kind of handlebar stuff that's called crowbar mustache thing going on and right, you know. Um it it but it's the same philosophy, but you can see how he's kind of changed over the years and really begin to believe it. Maybe gone off the deep end a little bit, right? Do you agree with that? Yeah. Wait, yeah. Do I agree with what? The fact that he kind of seems to have gone off the deep end a little bit towards the oh, end. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you, and well, you we're that. about to find out, aren't we? I mean, they've just. I know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we're going to see what's going on there. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he's. I mean, like, I you know, Eric, I would say that. One of the problems I do have with the show, talk about paper thin. Uh, this is where Emily and I would agree with that assessment is the two detectives interrogating, you know, softly interrogating mm, yeah. um, Cole and, and uh, uh, Marty are, are, are just, now there's your caricatures right there. These guys exist for no other reason just to be on the opposite end of the camera posing questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, they, it, it shows nothing of any work they've done to try and piece anything together. They're just there to raise doubt, basically, on the part of the viewer. You throw they throw files down and go, your buddy Cole's story doesn't add up. You know, and it's like uh-huh. I mean they're 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 so paper thin that and so transparent and so clearly on they're being they're, that they think that Cole's behind this this these, yeah. these killings. That it's sort of like that is for me, that's a weak machine to provide mm-hmm. combustion for 
this this narrative of the confessional or not the confessional but the interrogate you know the the yeah. taped the, the I don't know depositions essentially is what they're doing and for me there's where the story falls down I don't believe them and that's because I don't believe them and then then I have a hard time figuring out what they're what they're investigating in the first place like you know like I don't I think it's yeah no I agree with you I think that they're I mean they're not important though right they're like Thompson Citizen Kane right nobody cares about Thompson right he's just there to ask questions and get the story moving right but what you what you just said about them like what are they investigating that that's been bothering me too because right around like in the first episode I don't think you see them you get that these people are being videotaped but you don't know by whom which is important right and then in the second episode you start to see them, but it's all just them looking at each other, looking at each other, looking at each other, right? And then they start asking like more pointed questions about, you know, about Cole in particular. And it was right around probably the beginning of episode three that I was like, if this ends up being Cole committing the murders, he he did this, he committed these murders, I'm gonna be really pissed off because that's such a simplistic and, and, and tried that that's not it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, well we don't know we don't know that, but uh, yeah, you we probably we kinda we kinda know I that. Don't I mean I would hope not. All this shit with these uh the the who's the the, the sort of the Christian coalition that's going yeah, on. Yeah. Tuttle and all that, yeah. That could yeah. be a red herring, but I think yeah. there's something some meat there. I mean they wouldn't spend that I don't think they'd spend that much time on a red herring. I, um, it would be really insulting to me if they, no, if, if that's what that. they if did, you know, the case, as then, you know, we're all going to be upset because that's yeah. just a little too on the yeah. nose, but yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, it would be really insulting to us as an audience to set us up with this pretty smart show and then do that. But it was around episode three that I started thinking that, and I was like, they better not do that. And then I think it was episode four or so where they start asking more pointed questions about Cole. Right. to him and to um and to the Woody Harrelson character and then I'm like okay so the fact that they're actually asking explicitly about it and suggesting that he was involved tells me that they're not going to do that they're not going in that direction these guys are just foils right mm-hmm. but you're right they're pretty flimsy as as an excuse to to tell a story but I just liken them more or less to you know to Thompson and Citizen Kane it's just it's it's a device to get these people talking and then now at the end of episode six I guess what I'm trying to say is they're not the only if you know there are many flimsy characters within the show. It's 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 really it's Woody and Matthew's gig. Period. End of story. You know. Uh yeah, I suppose so. I well, mean, they're, they're I mean, the only the characters f- that are drawn out at all. There you right? go. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. all about right. their these flashbacks. You know. It's, yeah. I mean, every mm-hmm. show. If we wanted to actually do quantitative analysis, we could say per sixty minutes they get fifty-seven of them. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of like yeah. I think they get it. They probably get all sixty. I think. Yeah, I don't think there's much without them. Yeah, yeah. It's all it's all focalized to them, obviously. And then we get through the flashbacks too that there are they're both covering stuff up, yeah. right? So we get them talking, and then we get a flashback that neither one of them is talking about, which is brilliant in my opinion, because the the show keeps you guessing because you're like, what? How does how does Cole get from the past to the present mm-hmm. you know how does he get to where he is and you end up getting then like you get him lying and then you get Harrelson's character lying and so it really makes you get I mean I'm I'm, I'm assuming that what they're going to do is they're going to find out that that Tuttle guy was involved and the school was involved and somehow the governor was involved because in the first episode they mentioned the, you know the governor is really well, uh, you know yeah, happy about, you know 
yeah, I'm sure we're going to find that McConaughey is right, and that's it. But mostly, unlike a lot of police procedurals, you don't care. I don't care who did it. I don't, you know, it doesn't really, procedure. you know, it's about the procedure and it's about the characters, mm-hmm. right? And that's what I'm more interested in. And it's it, there's only two episodes left. And unlike in a lot of other shows, like take Breaking Bad, for example, like where you're like, what are they going to do in the next two episodes? How are they going to wrap up all these loose ends? I don't really care about a lot of the loose ends. I mean, I want them to solve the case. I want to, I want some kind of closure, I guess, on these characters. But I don't know. I'm just interested in, in kind of the journey of it in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the way McConaughey plays his character, I, I, I read someone's calling this the McConaissance. I don't know if you've heard that term before. Yeah, cute, cute right? Yeah, um, I think that was from the New Yorker as well. Um, but, you know, the, he's been so great in Killer Joe and Mud, and I haven't seen Dallas Buyers Club, but everybody says he's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this, and I was I'm watching his performance, and it's great because when he's young and uh, when he's clean-shaven, mm-hmm. he never looks anybody in the eye. He's always a little off-frame or in the background. And he's always kind of looking around. And then in, in the present day, he's looking people straight in the eye to the point where it's uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. He's just like just staring at them. And you can see this change that happens in him. And, and I like how they're, they're tracking that change as he goes undercover in that awesome scene where they go undercover and he kidnaps that dude. And, um, yeah, and you get the Harrelson character also changing a lot, right? And um, at the very end of episode six, he's – you know, Cole pulls over Hart and he's like, we got to talk. Okay, we got to talk, right? And then you, the last thing you see is uh, Woody Harrelson checking his gun, which is, yeah. uh, that's pretty ominous. But, um, I mean, it's good It's good writing in that sense, yeah. right? And, well, I think and, he's just checking you know. his gun to make sure, you know, Cole's not, because he knows he's dealing with a nut <laughs> case. There know? are a lot of reasons for him to be checking his yeah. gun. Yeah, 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 definitely. I'm sure I would have done the same thing. Yeah, especially after the questions that those interviewers are asked, those investigators were asking. So, um, you know what this show reminds me of a little bit is uh, Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Without the, you know, Twin Peaks actually had the supernatural in it and all that crazy stuff. Um, this hints at the supernatural, but it's it's not going to be that, you know, right. obviously. Yeah. But um, I, I keep thinking about like a really darker, deeper version of Twin Peaks to uh to to a certain extent with this. Do you, do you get that as well, or am I crazy? No, no, no. I think um, I mean to summarize my thoughts on the show is I I'm I, I'm I'm on the whole the ferry here. I'm on the the trolley. I've I've gotten on the ride. I'm enjoying the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the, you know, this is, um, it's a buddy film, you know, I mean, this is, um, lethal weapon essentially, or, you know, <laughs> uh, what, 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 I was trying to think of the name of the one with, uh, Charles Grodin and, and Robert De Niro <laughs> midnight run, you know, whatever. Oh, it's, it's, right. it's, yeah. It's, it's a fallow centric. It's a buddy you, film. <laughs> you know, oh, it is. It's a fallow centric yeah. detective story. And, yeah. you know, and w- despite all the other trappings, so I'm just going to judge it on, on that alone and not try to, to focus on the paper thin characters that exist in the periphery, regardless of gender, it's their, their story. Um, and we're getting it and yeah, and we're getting it, you know, I agree. There is a tremendous amount of style uh, in this, but there's a lot of sort of existential substance underneath it as well. Yeah. Uh, if you look for it, like you said, the trick I think in, in McConaughey's sort of like weird uh, philosophical tangents is that they have to sound extemporaneous yet. They're carefully scripted. Um, and that's not easy. You know, it's yeah. sort of, you go back and read them, or re-listen to them, right? That mm-hmm. actually, you know, they're actually tethered in 
in real philosophical thought. Uh, and, and in particular, existentialism, you know, there's a lot of that that sort of permeates mm-hmm. his qu- questions on why are we here and why are we destined to repeat the same? Why are we on auto repeat? And I'm I'm stuck by I'm I'm struck by the style of it. There is I mean there's that virtuoso you know single take um, scene the, the raid scene you yeah, know uh, at the end is, of episode four yeah. which is uh, you know which would make Scorsese jealous. It's truly uh, an, an impressive feat of logistics and camera work and acting and timing and blocking. And so there is a tremendous amount of style here, and it could be argued it's a style over substance piece, but as I was brought into it, I I, I ultimately side on you by saying that McConaughey is the charmer, and you cannot stop watching him. Um, yeah. So ultimately, that's my take on the show. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Um, and and I'm hooked. I'm truly hooked. I think it's been a great ride, you know. And so, um, I want to. Yeah, I, I I agree so far. I mean, yeah, maybe he's chewing the scenery a little bit in the when he's cutting open the cutting the cans, the aluminum cans, you know. Oh, come on. Like he might be yeah, a bit. Choose the scenery bit. from his yeah. debut. Going. I know. You, you got to join. Be a lot it. cooler a lot if you did. I mean, he's been chewing scenery since day <laughs> right. one. That's like yeah. again calling the Epcot Center road, yeah. you know. But no, I think I think with this reconnaissance, I think uh, I think he's really he's found a different actor inside him. You know, he's doing some really different stuff than he was then, but you know, he's still Matthew. He's still got that going on. But, um, I think with the, um, the whole existential stuff that you're talking about, um, apparently the, so this yellow King thing is based on a short story. Did you read about this? Um, called the King in yellow. They've got a bump on Amazon's, you know, yeah, I I uh, selling again after a thousand years of yeah, well, hundred years, but um, <laughs> my joke. But uh, but the thing is, it's out of copyright, so you can get it for free, which is pretty sweet, right? But um, I started reading it this morning, mm-hmm. uh, before before we started recording, but I'm not far enough in to to say anything about it. But it's it is interesting that he's he's referring back to actually specific philosophical or or artistic other you know things. Um, I'm I'm really interested in reading uh. Pizzolatto's novel and short stories now, you know, because I think that the the strength of this Matthew McConaughey's performance aside, I think this real strength is the writing, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, he was off. He was originally offered uh, the position of Hart. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and he said he read the script. He's like, no, I want to do Rust. So clearly, yeah. I mean, very I different. Very any, different show. Very different show. Wants right? to do Rust. Yeah. I mean, that's the way. To, that clearly that's that's the character here yeah that's a good point but um but i think that um you know i'm hoping that it doesn't doesn't let us down in the last two but there's not much i don't have much what i like about it is the eight episode thing you know it's not like you're spending five seasons letting this thing draw out and draw out and draw out right i think that's a good format and then there are other shows that do that the killing i think is one um and uh there there are others that are like these shows that that are they're finite in time by design and they, oh, and they, job with that, yeah. Yeah. And they, um, they're finite in time. They, they focus on one thing, you know, one, um, you know, act of murder or whatever, 
you know, but um, I, I like that. You know, I think that's I think that's good because they don't you don't have that danger that a lot of television does of just dragging it out just to kind of fill episode after episode and 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 try to figure out where it's going to go. You, you know, the, he know they know where it's going to go, and they're certainly they and get it's, a lot of padding when you do that. And yeah, and to yeah, the finite thing. Yeah, the first two seasons of the Killing did that really well. Um, mm-hmm. And I I yeah. do like that sort of. Um, yeah, self-enclosed narrative for one, you know, eight or ten or thirteen-episode yeah. season. Really, you know, you get a and, sense of closure. You move on, and you can get actors that way. Yeah. You know, these guys would not have signed on to a multi-season deal. Sure. You know, I wouldn't think. I guess the plan is to do, you know, different seasons with different characters, different actors, and different locales as well. With the same writer, though. Which I think is really is really interesting. I think it's you know they're doing what you you see in in movies a lot, but they're doing it you know the tight writing, the the you know the single trajectory, all that stuff. But they're doing it in eight hours instead of two. They're doing it over you know more episodically, but but it's more bounded. I, I think it's a great model. Um, I think it's I think it works really really well, and I'm interested to see what he does for the for the second season. Me too. I'm I'm captivated, and you know everybody that I've been speaking to that has been watching it says the same thing. They're they're captivated by the show. Yeah. It's certainly something different. Yeah, it's certainly something different. It, you know, it, there's there's another thing about this. I was talking about Twin Peaks earlier, and like, there is there is no shortage of of TV shows about the um, about the supernatural, mm-hmm. and um, but I think a lot of our like serious dramas are about the evil of of men of people you know uh, house of cards comes to mind mm-hmm. as well as this and they're very different shows and and this is the part where i wish chris were here too because i think i think you and i probably both agree that that this is as crazy and, and weird as true detective is i find it much more believable and engaging than house of cards oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah big time. um although i like house of cards for what it is it's just i i find this much more engaging much more interesting and but they're both kind of the same in a way they're about the, the treachery and in kind of I guess evil. I hate using the word evil because I don't. I'm not sure I even believe in the term. But, uh, but you know, this idea that people can be so, you know, corrupt and 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 uh, you know, um, psychopathic. I guess right. I mean, that's what they're both about. You know, because we've had a lot of detective movies with with weird detectives. You know, you have Monk, the OCD detective. And you have Dexter, sure. the serial killer detective. But those, I don't think, do anything that this is doing. Yeah, this is Yeah, and I think that ultimately what's 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 charming and what's and what's and what's hookish about this show is ultimately what might be its undoing if we get a sort of rather run of the mill trite, you know, very tropic ending as well. Yeah. That that I agree. that's going to that's going to kill a lot of people. It's like yeah. they go through all the bother of a setup and then we get a very unsatisfying and by unsatisfying what I mean is run of the mill Cool did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Conclusion. That, then I think the show's gonna be in the hot seat. Yeah, um, I agree. But at least it won't at least it won't drag on for season after season. That's true. <laughs> but it might jeopardize right? it might yeah. jeopardize the that whether we see any more seasons. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. I think I think you're right about that. But I don't I don't think you'll do that. I think that they're gonna leave a lot open though. I don't think it's gonna have closure on everything. I think it's gonna leave a lot of stuff hanging. That's just my my thought, my feeling. But Let's see. Maybe we can uh, revisit in a couple of weeks. I think we shall. Cool. We will be back soon with some more good stuff, I guarantee it. Yep, yep. 
Yeah, so visit us at that's rapshow.com uh, on Twitter at Rap Podcast. We have a Facebook page, a Google Plus page. We have an email address, feedback at that's a rap show.com. Let us know what you think. Yeah, let us know what you think. You can leave a voicemail on the uh, on the website if you want. Uh, we can uh, at some point we'll do a reader email bag and maybe we'll feature you on there. And uh, stay tuned for some other cool stuff. We have some other stuff planned for 2014 that I think a lot of you will like. So. And uh, for That's a Wrap, I'm Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And uh, for Chris Gullen as well, That's a Wrap. Cut. That's a Wrap. See you later, suckers. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Stop.